Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Jordan Neal. He's currently the head football coach at McMurray University in Abilene, Texas, married to Amanda. They have a a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, just an incredible man of God. I can't wait for you to hear from him, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. I like to start these out with some background information. A lot of listeners may not be familiar with who you are. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up, your family growing up, and then a little bit about your family today. You bet. Um, well, I'm I'm originally from Abilene, Texas, which is where McMurray University is located here. Um, born and raised out here in West Texas. I'm a proud Abilenian. Uh, went to Cooper High School and played for played for Randy Allen, who's a coaching legend here in Texas and um, myself and my older brother both got a, an opportunity to play for him. And so that's a, um, a really special thing and um, very deeply influenced by him for, uh, for sure. And upon graduating high school, I actually attended school at our crosstown rival, uh, Hardin Simmons university, which is another D three school in the American Southwest conference here. And uh, uh, here, here in Abilene, uh, got there and I played for played for Coach Jimmy Keeling, who is also just a tremendously influential man to me and my whole family. Uh, and uh, really, really had a great, just a great experience playing college football at Hardin Simmons for coach, and uh, made a made a lot of friends there. I actually met my wife there. I was there from 2001 to 2006, and my wife Amanda was also going to school there. She's a Wiley Bulldog and I was a Cooper Coog. So, uh, but anyway, now we met in college and, and, uh, got married, um, got a really unique opportunity. You know, football has been really good to me. Um, uh, after my career was over at Harden Simmons, I got an opportunity to go play professionally in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And I was there for one year <clears throat> and my wife was able to come with me. And so we were just young and, uh, you know, having fun playing football, uh, and, and just had a great, great experience over there and uh, getting to live in a different part of the country and uh, uh, a different part of the world in another country there. And uh, whenever we got back, um, I was kind of struggling between a ministry call and coaching. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually in the middle of my second year of seminary courses at Logston um, Seminary, which is a part of Hardin-Simmons. Got back and thought I was going to finish school and ended up um, – you know, a series of events, I was able to get a full-time coaching job as the offensive coordinator at Howard Payne down in Brownwood, which is also in our league, not, you know, an hour away from Abilene. Uh, and then I spent four four years at Howard Payne as the offensive coordinator, coaching quarterbacks, and, and just really cut my teeth as a coach and learned a lot there. Um, and then I got an opportunity to go to Texas Lutheran University. Again, I always tell people too that I'm I'm trying to break a record for how many schools I can coach at in the ASC. <laughs> I got four now, and I've got a few more left to go. But now I went to TLU, and uh, I, I spent one year there as a run game coordinator, and I was actually coaching offensive line, which was such a great learning experience for me. Uh, not a month into my time there, though, one of my best friends in the coaching business, Coach Buck Buchanan, who, who had been the defensive coordinator at Louisiana College uh, and went there with a guy named Marty Secor, who's the head coach at Frisco Wakeland, another Randy Allen, um, uh, you know, Randy Allen assistant coach. Anyway, Coach Buchanan, uh, about a month after my time at TOU, got the head coaching job to start the program at, from, from scratch at Hendricks, which is D3 school in Arkansas. And um, I knew that I was going to get a job offer there uh, as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach with Coach Buck, but I was committed to being at TLU. And uh, so I spent one year there living in New Braunfels. And then uh, when that season kind of came to a close, we did. We got an opportunity to go up there to Conway, Arkansas, which is where I've been for the last uh, seven years prior to coming back to Abilene at McMurray. Just had I've had a great experience and a great time at each one of those stops and uh, I'm thankful to get to be back here in Abilene at McMurray. And how long have you been there? Just got to McMurray uh, in, in January of 2019. 
That is quite the journey through the through the uh, ASC conference. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and it's 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 served me well. Like I've, I've got friends, you know, head coaches and assistants at every school in our conference. There's a lot of uh, ties between each of us, and I've coached with and against many of these guys. Played with and played against many of them. So there's a lot of familiarity there, and. Uh, I'm definitely biased, but I had such a great experience playing D3 and it sure does. It does a lot for me to see, to get in a chance to coach guys at this level and see them have a great experience too. That's awesome. And I didn't send you um, this question, but you mentioned um, playing for coach Randy Allen and his influence in, in, in football in Texas. So what was it like playing for a guy like Randy Allen, not just from the football perspective, just for the man, Randy Allen? Well, you know, I, I think something that I didn't appreciate or really truly fully comprehend when I was playing for him was, was just, just how steady he was and how, mm much of a, of a, of a moral authority he was, you know, it was something that you didn't have to think about. You could take it for granted that, that coach Allen, you always knew, you always had this quiet confidence that coach Allen knew what to do. And he, he was going to have, even if it wasn't true, you just always felt like he had the right answer. He always had a plan. Uh, he was always very adaptable, um, in, in everything, you know, and, and you, you know, you see the way he, he still calls the offense at, Highland Park and I know he's still calling plays by the same names that he called them back in 1992 when my brother was playing for him and so he's just incredibly consistent and um you know I I give him a hard time because he's kind of he's kind of dry uh you know he doesn't show a lot of emotion um I do think he shows a little bit more emotion maybe than he used to he's not he's he's not quite as serious all the time as he used to be but no he, he just he was just uh, the epitome of what you envision uh, your your high school coach to be, and so I'm, I'm very very glad to have gotten a chance to be around him. And you know, I'm very lucky too because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Coach Keeling. You know, Jimmy Keeling at Hardin Simmons, he was there for 22 years, and and you know his program influenced Cooper High School, and by extension has influenced Highland Park and and Cowan. Uh, a tremendous amount over the years and and not just those programs but many programs across the state and and his influence cannot be quantified and um i think that coach keeling is just almost a, he's just a older version of of coach allen and two are like peas in a pod so for me my playing experience through high school and into college was seamless you know just mm. i felt like i had the same coach all the way through uh, certainly unique in some ways, but in the in the important matters, in you know, in faith, in keeping football in the proper perspective, um, it was the same thing all the way through. Yeah, I think I mentioned before we started recording, I had an opportunity to interview Coach Allen for this podcast, and yeah, just a just an incredible man of faith, and have followed Highland Park since. And um, you're right, steady, not a lot of emotion, um, mm-hmm. but but just a, just high character. And I can't imagine, um, you know, the, the wide net that he has cast across the state of guys he's coached and now guys that are in coaching like yourself. And, you know, it transcends, you know, even high school, it's into the, in, in, into the college level as well. And that's just, you know, people talk about coaching trees, right. In NFL and college, but, you know, I think if you were to break it down, his tree has probably got more branches than anybody. <laughs> no question. No question yeah. about it. And I'm, and I'm glad to be, a, be even just a small twig on that, on that tree, you know, and I hope that, I hope that I can have the same kind of influence. That's definitely, uh, you know, it definitely sets the standard. Yeah. And, and it's not just excellent coaches across the state. It's godly men that are Absolutely. in coaching as well. So let me ask you, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, post-college in seminary, but let me ask you a little bit about your faith journey. Did you grow up in a family of faith? And at what point did you make it your own? Did you realize, you know, I need that personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a family of faith. Um, you know, my my mom 
was always been kind of the spiritual leader of our household, um, which, <clears throat> you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've come to realize, you know, that that's, uh, you know, I, 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 I got, I got that a lot from my mom as far as being involved in church. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was, was not, was not a church going man at all, but, um, but, but the faith dimension was always there. And, um, <clears throat> so I, I had good influence from both my mom and my dad. Um, but as far as, you know, really, really being involved and understanding the why at a young age, th- there was something missing there. And I don't, you know, it, it was not until I got into college really, uh, and specifically when my, in my, in my junior, junior year at Hardin Simmons, my, my mom, uh, who's now, she's a, breast cancer survivor. But at the time we, she got the diagnosis that, that, you know, she was going to have to be going through chemotherapy and radiation treatment and all, and all that. And, you know, was looking at a year and a half to two year battle through those things. And, and it was really at that time when I was faced with, um, that stark reality that my mom who had been such a consistent, you know, just a middle C for my whole life, she was, she's mortal, you know, she, she's not, um, invincible. And so that really shook me and, and, and caused me to question. And even in some ways caused me, caused some bitterness towards God. Um, but it was that, that it was at that time. And I, and I'll just share this, that, uh, you know, God, God works in such amazing ways. I remember being involved in a, in a, in a Bible study, where we were going through Genesis and I had never really, uh, wrestled with those stories. Uh, but then there, there in, in Genesis, um, chapter 32, the story of Jacob re- wrestling with God or the angel of God, as he was kind of fleeing his, his brother Esau, you know, that story kind of came in to me into, into my view right at the right time, because I did, I had some bitterness towards God. I was, I had some things that were pent up and, uh, you know, some unforgiveness and, and, and things and just some personal, you know, sin and some flaws that I wasn't willing to kind of let go of. And that story of Jacob wrestling with God, where he, he basically puts God in a headlock and says, I'm not letting go. I'm going to, we're going to fight all night. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And of course, the angel of the Lord says, fine, have it your way. And he, I imagine he, he had a nice little escape move and he, he broke Jacob's hip and he basically let him know, listen, I'm in control of your life and it's okay to wrestle and it's okay to, to, to demand and to, uh, and to seek my face, but just understand that, that, it, that I'm the one who's guiding your steps and I'm the one who guides your future and you will no longer be known by Jacob from this time forward. Your name will be Israel, which means one who struggles with God. And that legacy of, you know, Israel as a nation and everything that comes out of that is so meaningful and so powerful. And that was a story that I really kind of learned at that time when I was truly wrestling with God and trying to have it my way and, and was questioning him for why my mom had gotten sick with breast cancer and all that. And uh, during that time, my faith started to kind of graduate from, you know, just the um, the faith that had been handed to me from my parents to to really being my own. And so I would say that back in about about 15, 16 years ago is whenever I started to really take it seriously. And it was at that time that I felt like I had a ministry call on my life. And I'm still trying to figure out that ministry call. But it, at this point, it has come to, you know it's manifested in, in coaching. So that was just a really crucial time in my life. That's awesome. I love that. It's amazing how God uses his word and even the old Testament, you know, to speak to a current situation that you're struggling with. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I mean, you're definitely um, may not be in like quote unquote vocational ministry, but uh, coaching (laughs) is definitely a full-time ministry. Um, That's awesome. Absolutely. So let me ask you about your current position there at McMurray. I'm, I know you've only been there, um, you know, a year and a half or so, and it's been a crazy year and a half, obviously, with with everything that's going on today. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, more coaching in your hometown, but also 
the culture that you're trying to continue to to develop there at McMurray? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> it was about a year and a half ago that, um, um, or a little over a year and a half ago, rather, that uh, I was on a recruiting trip in uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I was I had actually been hunting down in South Texas over Thanksgiving, and uh, I knew that the McMurray position had come open, but I only found out about it through. Um, friend of mine who whose whose dad is actually the head baseball coach at Harden Simmons, but his his, his son uh, Brad Coleman, he was the assistant baseball coach here at at McMurray, and uh, he let me know that hey that job's open, you, you ought to check it out, and 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 I and I was just perfectly happy in Arkansas, and and you know we had a good thing going there, and had worked hard to build that program from scratch, and uh, wasn't looking to leave. And, and it was at that time that, you know, the, the job came open here at McMurray and they, they contacted me and, and, and I kind of reluctantly agreed to do a phone interview. And I was, like I said, I was on my recruiting trip and I got back home and did the phone interview with the president and our athletic director and, and uh, the faculty athletics rep. And they asked me if I could come back to Abilene and this was on Saturday and I had to be there on you know, Sunday night. <laughs> so it was a quick turnaround and I was still very reluctant. I was kind of hesitant, you know, not really knowing what I was doing yet. Um, but I got my things gathered and, and, uh, over the years I'd always kind of kept my own notes and kept my own, um, you know, I was developing my own philosophy should, should the opportunity to become a head coach ever come about. And, um, uh, got an opportunity to share my vision and the things that, uh, that, that, that I would want to see, you know, as the leader of the program and, and all that. And, but I came away more, I guess, starstruck by our president and our athletic director here at McMurray, our president, Dr. Sandra Harper, and our athletic director, who's also VP for, uh, for student affairs, uh, Sam Ferguson. I felt like they really recruited me and like they really, um, sold me on the vision that they had for McMurray and it aligned in so many ways with the things that, that I had said that day, not realizing really that they were in perfect alignment with what they were looking for. And, and, um, you know, got offered to the job at the end of the day. And it was one of those deals where going into it, I was thinking about all the ways I was going to tell them, Hey, I, I'm thank you, but no, thank you. And then as soon as I left campus, I called my wife and said, hey, we, we'd be crazy not to do this. I just really felt like there was a connection there. And so um, it's been fast and furious ever since then. And, you know, just talking about our philosophy, you know, to me, it all boils down to our program priorities. And, and I think everything boils down to priority. But we one of the things that we're trying to build here is a is a culture where we're going to honor God honor family, seek academic excellence, and be a team. And uh, we talk about that nonstop. We got it written up on the walls. And uh, <clears throat> that's a little bit more verbose way of saying God, family, school, and football. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, it's deeper than that. It, it is, we want to run a program that is going to honor God. And uh, I actually look to Harding University of uh, uh, for, for that particular phrase, I've always admired that program and their coaches and they've got it written really big up on the wall. When you come to their field house, honor God, that's what they do in everything. And uh, to me, honor God very simply means it, it doesn't mean that you, all your players go to church. It doesn't mean that everybody is even a Christian in, in the same sense that, uh, you know, we, we got a diverse population at McMurray and, uh, we are Methodist affiliated, but not everybody that goes here is Methodist. You know, there, there's people that are Catholic, there's Baptist, there's uh, everything, you know, and, and there's people that, that have no faith at all. Um, so to me, honor God doesn't mean those things. It means we want to create an environment where our guys are going to do right and do their best. And I think that that is our worship when we are seeking to do right um, because we know that we, we all have that conscience. We all have that still voice inside of us that tells us that, you know, this is right and this is wrong. But even deeper than that, we want to do our best. Uh, we talk about running the race in such a way as to obtain the prize, which comes from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And 
uh, honor God to me means we want to, we want to run the race in a manner that is, uh, befitting of a champion and deserving of a champion. Mm. Uh, I want to see our team be the type of team that deserves to win, not necessarily the team that does win. Although, you know, we want to compete to win every game, but, but, uh, we've all been a part of teams where maybe we won a game and we felt like, well, you know, we didn't, we weren't really the better team, you know, that other team deserved it more than we did. We just ended up with more points at the end of the game. And we've also been on the other side of that where you felt like you were the team that deserved to win and, and the ball just didn't bounce your way. But, but bigger than that, just from a program perspective, we just want to be a team that honors God. And I think that, team, I think that God honors teams, not necessarily with wins, but I believe that God turns around and he honors coaching staffs and teams that are seeking to run a program uh, that that would be that that he can look at and that he can applaud and that he can smile at, you know. And then that next one is is honor family. I always say to our players, say if you ever, I'm from West Texas, so you know this is one of my little sayings. But if you're driving down the road and you ever see a turtle up on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. And uh, that's kind of a cruel trick to do to a turtle, but it's just. <laughs> You know, that old saying that like none of us got here by ourselves. And I I want our coaches and our players to represent the just the village, the huge community of people that help them not only become who they are, but to get where they are and have the opportunities that they have here at McMurray. Uh, And then and then kind of to the second part of that is we want to represent the Warhawk brand and we want to do it with class and with character. So, you know. Faith and family are kind of 1A and 1B. And then, you know, beyond that, we, we talk constantly about the fact that these young men are here to get an education. I, I've always been inspired by a story I heard about John Gallardi, the head football coach at, at uh, St. John's up in Minnesota. He was there for over 50 years and he used to give the same speech to his team in fall camp every year. He had a, a wooden nickel, like a buffalo nickel that he would take out of his pocket and he would hold it up in the into the sun and the players would look up into it and they'd be squinting their eyes. And he would say, gentlemen, this nickel is football and the sun is your education. Mm. And uh, I think there's a difference between getting a degree and getting a, an education. And we want to see our kids get the lot. La- we want them to get the degree for sure. That, that piece of paper that says, Hey, I did it. We also want them to walk away with a Christian worldview and, and a perspective on life that's broader than, um, the textbook. And that, that comes with the ability to learn to think critically. Cause that's really what did it for me. You know, I learned to think critically in college. I'm still learning how to do that, but I believe that that is, um, we do a disservice to our young men and women in society. If we do not give them the tools they need to learn to think critically and to solve problems on their own, uh, and, and to work like it's all up to them, but pray like it's all up to God. And then the last part of that is, is be a team. We have a saying that's up on the wall here. It's called the four-way test. And this is, a, this is definitely a Gordon Wood, Randy Allen, Jimmy Keeling thing. And it goes like this. It's coaches must believe in coaches. Players must believe in players. Coaches must believe in players. And players must believe in coaches. And uh, to me, that is you know, a team is built on trust and, and a belief in one another that we're all pulling and we all got a paddle. We're all rowing in the same direction. And, uh, we have a common goal and our backgrounds, our socioeconomic backgrounds are even, even our creed and, and, and ethnicity and color, uh, you know, pale in importance to, the fact that we're all doing something together and it's bigger than any one man. So honor God, honor family, academic excellence, and be a team. That's what we're trying to develop here. And we want to, we want to develop not only champions on the field in our time at McMurray, but we want to develop champions for life. So um, that, that vision that I had perfectly aligned with, with Dr. Ferguson and the administration here at McMurray and, uh, you know, for the first year and a half, as we've kind of battled through the challenges of, of uh, COVID-19 and everything else, 
it's just a daily process of trying to refine that culture and, and uh, bring that into clearer view and higher resolution every day. Wow, that's good. That's a lot. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote a lot of that down. I love that. The, the, the way you talked about and broke down the honor guard, honor God piece. That is, that's huge. Um, because it, it is, you're right. I think God does honor people that follow him and have the right intentions, maybe not wins and losses, like you said, but I do believe that, that he does honor that and allows for success. Um, I like that. So you, let me ask you kind of piggybacking off that you mentioned some of the challenges, you know, with COVID-19. So, um, you know, there's a big impact to both the school and sports. So thinking about, you know, the honor God on our family, academic excellence and being a team, how did y'all stay connected as a staff and as a team and building that culture when you couldn't meet? You know, there was no practice, there was no school. So how, how did you lead through that? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's uh, it's, it's still a daily, a daily struggle. You know, I think I don't have really any any novel ideas when it comes to that, or, or you know, yeah, I don't think we did anything different than I think a lot of the coaches around our league. I definitely leaned on, you know, the other coaches in our conference, and 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 in not just our conference, but um, Coach Keeling, Coach Allen, um, you know, Coach Buchanan at Hendricks, even though we're not in their conference anymore, you know, those men helped guide me through a lot of this, and uh, and our staff, you know, those guys. <laughs> they're the ones with all the good ideas. <laughs> I'm the one who's got good theories and they're the ones that have good practical ideas. But now we just, you know, I, I think about, there's a great scene from, um, from the movie Apollo 13. And this is the way I look at it. You know, those guys only had so much oxygen left in their vessel out in the middle of orbit, you know, you know, you know, orbiting around the moon or whatever. And, you know, you, you got this interplay between ground control, you know, in Houston and, and, and the guys that were out there in the, in the vessel and, and all the guys in Houston come together and they're like, they, one guy picks up a, a piece of tubing and another guy's he got all these different kind of random objects that were things that were on the aircraft, the, the craft. And they said, we got to take all this and we got to make an air filter. <laughs> and we got to take this square peg and stick it in this round hole. And, uh, and I just love that scene because one of the things you hear like, like a pilot and you hear like, like astronauts, they talk about continue to work the problem. And, and it's exactly like it is in a game. If you can't figure out how to block something or you can't figure out how to cover this or cover that or whatever it may be, you just have to quiet your emotions and quiet your nerves and say, all right, I'm not going to be able to figure this all out right now. And I'm not going to have, I can't, there's not an easy button I can push, but if I'll just simply work the problem and work the six inches that's right in front of me and try to dominate that, those six inches, and then my purview is going to get wider. And to me, there's so many uh, parallels between that and, and, you know, think about Paul and, and the apostles in the early church, they had a mission. They were told by the, by the, (laughs) the son of God, Hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there's a reason why he didn't say, you're going to be my witnesses at the ends of the earth, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, and, and, and what have you. He said, manage the person right next to you. Mm. You know, be, be a megaphone for those that are right in your purview and understand that it is, it is God's spirit and it's his influence, that ripple effect that will allow things to grow. And so we've just tried to remain vigilant in the daily task of communicating with our guys, making sure that they know the plan and making sure they, when it's time to adapt and adjust and improvise and overcome. And, and then, and, and then, so, so there's a ton of practical stuff and pragmatic things I think that I could maybe talk about, but, but even more important than that, I think it's just trying to instill an attitude, a can do attitude. Mm. Um, and I'll share one other quick thing. I've been really inspired by a book by a guy who's a former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. Uh, a lot of people here heard his name and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. 
he co-wrote it with a, with another one of his SEAL buddies named Leif Babin. Those guys have cool names, by the way. Jocko, Willink, and <laughs> Leif, Leif Babin. Sounds like a Navy SEAL, right? They just are there through and through. But, you know, in Extreme Ownership, the book they wrote, they, they simply talk about, hey, it's all good. No matter what happens, their attitude, their instinct, rather, is let's use this to our advantage. Let's find a way to make this the best thing that it can possibly be because it truly is all we have. And so I took that wordplay of, of it's all good. And we kind of made an acronym about that. So G O O D is go only one direction and just not allowing yourself to have a negative reaction and a negative response to the things that are thrown at you. So we're just trying to build in our players and in our, in our coaching staff and everybody that we can influence. Um, we want to have a victor mentality and not a victim mentality. Um, because things are going to be thrown at us all the time and, and we simply can't, there's not a moment to waste in, in terms of feeling sorry for ourselves or wishing things were a different way. Um, so I don't know if that really answers the question specifically, but from an attitude perspective, I've looked at this whole thing as a great arena to try to develop that instinct and that, that attitude, that mindset that, Hey, we, it's all good. We can do this. No, I think that's great. I love that because I think we spend a lot of time trying to navigate this and things are changing every day um, with mm. schools and sports. It's, it's you know, we're closed, we're open, there is a season, there is no season. And so I, I think that's a great perspective. And I think, you know, I know for me personally, I think even our family hopefully would, would agree that, you know, we've, we're coming out of this stronger. You know, because Absolutely. we have had to individually and collectively regroup and literally kind of strip everything away and go, okay, how are we going to survive today? You know, because right. I think for a while we're always looking, we're always looking ahead, but this has forced us to actually look at the moment and almost um, enjoy the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, life is life is too short to... I don't know if I can say this on a Christian podcast, but life's too short to walk around looking like you're smelling a fart all the time. <laughs> I love that. That'll be good. I'm not going to say that to my my two boys because they'll <laughs> run around the house saying it all the time. My wife won't like it, but that's good. That's very good. Um, one more question related to kind of, you know, you had COVID come in and then there's a lot of social unrest, you know, some racial tensions. And, you know, I know, you know, being a, a head coach at a, at, a, at a college football program, everybody doesn't look alike, everybody doesn't vote alike, everybody doesn't act alike. So, you know, as a coach, how, do, how did you or do you address those? Because I don't, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm really glad that you asked this question because it's something I'm, again, it, it's, it's just like with COVID, it's one of those things that I'm daily having to uh, learn how to learn how to wade through because it's a it's a challenging issue. And you know, here at McMurray, we have a, an extremely diverse population on our campus. But our football team, we've got a lot of black players, we got a lot of Hispanic players, we got white kids, we got kids that are you know that that have um, that are of uh, Asian background. So I mean, we we've got it all. We've got it all. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, one of the things that, and, and we can get into it as deep as you want to, because I, because I certainly have some, some strong beliefs and opinions about the things that I see going on, but the, the main objective that I've had when it comes to our players is to make sure that they know I'm not going to reduce my support for them down to a slogan. I'm not going to reduce mm. my support and my love, my intense desire to see them become independent, ruggedly independent men of character who are going to, who are going to be great husbands, fathers, professionals, coaches, teachers, doctors, lawyers, businessmen. I'm not going to reduce that down and pretend like it's sufficient to checking off that box by, you know, by, by simply waving a banner. Um, and so we've had many talks uh, with our team and I'm really, really proud of our staff. My, our offensive coordinator is, is Hispanic. Our receivers coach is black. He's from Compton, California. 
and our, and he's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. And, um, you know, he's got his son, uh, his oldest goes to McMurray and runs track here. And his wife and I actually went to high school together. So we, so we've known each other from the past. And, and then our, our defensive backs coach, which I want to name these guys by name, forgive me, coach Garcia, uh, Gabe Garcia is our offensive coordinator. And he's one of my best friends in the whole world. And then coach Larry Dockery. And I want to come back to him in a minute uh, as our receivers coach. And then David Metcalf um, is our DBs coach. And, um, and, and, you know, he went to historically black college, you know, and is also from California and he's, he's seen a thing or two as well. And, and then our offensive line coach, uh, coach Brooks Billings is a, is a white guy like me <laughs> and our defensive coordinator, coach John Jennings is a white guy like me. He's from, but he's, he's from down in the, uh, uh, in the Beaumont area, down in the triangle, uh, coached all over the country, coached in California, coached every, you know, uh, shape and stripe and color. Uh, and then, uh, coach Kiefer Clay, he's from an inner city, uh, uh, high school in, in Fort Worth coached him at Howard Payne. And all of our guys have a really diverse range of backgrounds from the coaching perspective. And it allows us to interact with our team in a great way, because the truth is not every kid on our team is going to identify as closely to me as he might with coach Garcia or coach Metcalf or whatever. And so I'm really proud that we have a diverse staff and we have the ability to kind of address some of these things with, with authority. And I'll give a specific example. One of our more recent team meetings, of course, we had to be socially distanced and it wasn't as intimate as I would like for it to be because they're wearing masks and things. You know, I got up and kind of talked um, about some of these issues and, and some directives and just some, some things that I had on my mind about it and really wanted to let the, let the guys know that, Hey, we, we got your six, we got you, we got your back a hundred percent of the way. Um, and in that meeting, coach Dockery, uh, who has recently been appointed, been appointed our, uh, uh, department athletic department officer for inclusion and diversity. He got up and just kind of gave not a, uh, a, a scripted kind of mass produced talk about his role in, in the inclusion and diversity project, but just a testimonial of how he got to McMurray and how grateful he is for the opportunity to be here and to be a mentor to these guys. And it was really, really powerful. There were some tears that were shed. We, I told our AD, I said, we, we broke some social distancing protocols at the end of that meeting. Cause there were some uh, hugs and some tears and some, <laughs> some of that kind of stuff. But, you know, it just, uh, it was a powerful thing for us to be able to just get out and just air some of this stuff out. And unfortunately we hadn't had a chance to do that in person really until that time, which was only a couple of weeks ago. So we did the best we best job we could. Uh, I wrote the team a long letter uh, after the the George Floyd situation, which kind of tipped a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. off and, and kind of set it off. And, you know, it was just a, it was basically a love letter to them about how much we appreciate them. And, and the fact that we see uh, the anxieties, we see the issues and we understand to the best of our ability that, that these are, these are difficult things. And I got guys on our team. I know that have that feeling of, man, could I, could I, could that have been me, you know? And that's a very real and very powerful emotion. And, um, I think it all goes back to, um, you know, our desire to see these guys be overcomers, be victors and not victims and, uh, embracing the notion that, um, if they will work hard and make sacrifices, play by the rules, um, you know, submit to the ruling authority, which is a duty that we have as Christians, um, you know, thankfully we can acknowledge with us, we can acknowledge that we live in the freest and most prosperous country in the history of mankind. And, and we have a lot of blessings that we need not take for granted. We take them for granted at our own peril in, in, in my belief. So we've just tried to talk about it and, and, uh, you know, we're not, uh, creating a, a political organization out of our football team. Uh, we're trying to create an environment where, where we, where we, it, it goes back to the mission statement and it goes back to the four-way test, which is again, coaches and coaches, players and players, coaches and players and players and coaches. 
Uh, and I think if we do those things, um, you know, the racial tension and the things that we see happening on, on the constant loop of the media, you're not going to see that at McMurray University. I love that because it would be easy to get sucked into the one-time letter you wrote or the one-time team meeting, and then you move on to football and you just move right. on. You, know, you kind of lift the rug up and sweep it. But mm-hmm. I like how you know, you're approaching it, tying it back to your, your mission of honoring God, family, you know, academic excellence and, and team. And it's just, it's just falling in line with your culture and in building that, you know, strengthening that versus a one-time boom. I made a statement. We're good. Let's move on. I like that. Absolutely. Well, and you know, and, and I want to be really careful here because context, you know, th- anything can be taken out of context, but you know, one of the things that I talked about with our team, you know, I, I said I said to them that I do see a stark contrast between much of what's going on today compared to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And um, that that's just to say that that Dr. King, uh, being the the man of God that he was, and he was a complex man with uh, who's just as human as you and I, and he dealt with um lots and lots of temptations and things that right. that an, an average man would would succumb to but 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 Dr. King you know in his I have a dream speech you know, he said something really profound and I shared this with the team among, among the other things that we know he said like hey my dream is that one day my children would be judged based on the content of their character rather than the the color of their skin and he also said speaking to his black brothers and sisters, he said, let us not attempt to quench our thirst for freedom and for justice and equality under the law by drinking from the cup of bitterness towards our white brothers and sisters. And I I always go back to um, that speech and that movement and how it, it really was born of God and it was sustained and carried through by the spirit of God and by the church and there's a great uh, passage from Philippians where Paul, you know, beseeching of you know his members of his flock, he said, "If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being mm-hmm. of the same love, and being united in spirit and purpose." That's from Philippians two. And if ever there was a place where uh, racial division and the 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 pol- the polarizing vitriol that you see in our society where that should be where that should dissipate and be completely gone it's in our sports teams you know it's on, it's especially true in football where it's the ultimate team sport and socioeconomic background even even religious creed uh they pale in comparison to uh, the the beauty of seeing brothers and sisters dwelling together in harmony and 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 being united in spirit and purpose, which is to be a part of a team and to try to win a championship. And I just think that that metaphor is so powerful. And as coaches, especially as Christian coaches, you know, men of conviction and men of character, we've got a great open door to articulating to our players. The, the love of Christ, which is which the, one of the hallmarks of the love of Christ is unity, <laughs> unity with with with, you know, communion with God. And that's ultimately what peace is. It's not the absence of conflict. It's, you know, God's presence and it's the presence of the spirit of God. So I'm pretty passionate about that, as you can tell. Um, and I'm pretty uh persnickety about it, I guess you could say, uh, that we not reduce down something as important as all of this to a hashtag and, mm-hmm. and a, and a one time, you know, post on social media. I think it's much, much deeper than that. <laughs> what you just done in my, you know, I've, I've said this to a lot of other people. We've had this conversation. You've just painted a beautiful picture of how God designed Design. the church. Amen. You know, talking about the importance of football. Yeah. You know, I think that is the the way God designed the church that we would put aside those things that 
divide us, that we would come together in unity with one mission. That's loving God, loving others. Absolutely. Um, and I just feel like even inside the church, we've kind of taken our eyes yeah. off of that and we've gotten distracted by um, things in the church, the music or, yeah. you know, pews versus chair. What I mean, those are small things, but even big things, you know, we've mm-hmm. allowed things to come inside and divide the church. And what you've just described is, I think, what Paul was talking about, you know, yeah. and that's how Christ designed us to live even inside the church, big C. Absolutely. And there's so many great examples in scripture where, where Jesus completely flips these things on their head. Just take the, take the example of him, you know, going back from Jerusalem back to Galilee and he starts walking through Samaria and his disciples are looking at him going, Jesus, you can't, you can't go that way. Cause we don't, we don't associate with them. In other words, we, we are segregated from, from those people. And Jesus, knowing his mission and having enough courage to, to walk that line, he said, no, this is part of, this is part of why I've come. I'm, we're going this way. That's right. <laughs> and, and, he, and he did, man. He, he absolutely blew up the cultural norms by speaking to a woman and much less a Samaritan woman. And she knew it too. She looked at, you know, not knowing that she was talking to the savior of the world, said, what would you have to do with me? I'm a woman. And beyond that, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. You don't, you're, you're a, you're a Jew, you know, you can't talk to me. And uh, it was that, that beautiful image there of, of him at the well and her, you know, giving him a drink and, and just the, the, the unity that, that is only really, that, 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 that I believe that the church has a monopoly on. Um, I think unity uh, by any other means is simply, uh, is simply a Band-Aid on the problem. Mm-hmm. You know? That's and right. I think, yeah, I just think that it's, it's hearts and minds you know, need, needing to be uh, uh, opened up to the truth of God's word, which that, that is the ultimate antidote to the chaos of, of, of racial division in our country. Right, right. And a lot of other chaos too, right? Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's, it's more and more. And, um, you know, what you just talked about, I think, is the answer to it all. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Amen. that's awesome. That's good stuff. So let me ask you, you know, a lot of our listeners are high school uh, coaches or maybe coach at a, at a college like yourself, what would you say to, or even a student athlete that's listening that understands the platform? Because you, you have a platform. Um, mm-hmm. Athletics is a platform and, you know, whether we like it or not, it can be used for good or for bad. So what would you say to somebody listening that is struggling with using the platform um, with that message of Christ? And, you know, wh- how would you encourage them to, to be more bold, I guess. Well, I, I, I don't have a stock answer for you, but I do think that for, for, for Coach Neal, for me personally, mm-hmm. my, my um, ability, I don't want to say it's a, an ability, but the, the courage that I was able to find mm. eventually in my playing career to actually be an ambassador for, for Christ and to, and to want to represent him and to be known in that way, that courage was not always there because I was more concerned with being cool than I was understanding why I was playing. Mm. And, I, and I think for young people, I think you just need to ask the question to yourself, why do you really play? What, what is it for? Is it so that you can have your name in the paper? Um, that's fun. That's, it's great to be recognized for your talent. It's great to, to win. I mean, those things are fun to do. But it's until you pan out and purposely try to take a 30,000-foot view of your life and understand where, is it all, where does it all lead to, until you do that, then, then you're never going to have an answer to the question of why do you play? And, and I think, um, you know, uh, for, for me, it's a lot easier to answer that question as a coach because your mission as a coach is different in so many ways. As a player, when you're a player, you're thinking about the function of being, you know, playing this position or playing that position or, you know, the things that you have to do physically and, 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 and all that. And you're not thinking in terms of, well, the reason why I'm here is to influence others for Christ. 
But if you can get to a place where, where you recognize that you are either influencing people uh, in a positive way and giving them a positive notion of what it means to be a man of faith or not, and you just need to ask yourself that question, do I want to be somebody who is, 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 is on the right of that deal or on the other side of that deal? Um, and, and so I know that's not a good answer because I think everybody's got to find that for themselves. But I just know for me, I, I actually, you know, getting injured going into my last year of playing college football is what really, really had the most profound effect on me in that way is, is to be hit with the reality that, hey, this is going to end one day. The air is going to go out of the ball for me one of these days. And what am I going to be? Am I just going to be some guy who was known, you know, Johnny High School for being a good football player and nothing more than that? Or is what I've learned and what I've experienced and what I've been exposed to as an as a athlete, is that going to help me throughout the rest of my life? And, and, and like, like John Galari said, you're, you're, I would say this nickel is football and the sun is the rest of your life. You know, I've heard it said too, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you play in the NFL, talking about football, if you play in the NFL long enough to get your pension, <laughs> and you're 25 years old and say you've been playing since you were five. Well, God willing, if you live to be an old man, you will have lived three times as much of your life without football as you would have as a player. And uh, that's hard to do as an 18 year old to look at your life in reverse. But I think the bigger your perspective can be on, on the fact that football will end no matter how good you are. um, I think the better off that you'll be. And so I would just encourage young people to, to really consider why it is that you play and, and, and what it is that you're trying to really accomplish by, by, by being an athlete. That's good. No, I like that. That's good stuff. So how do you balance all the uh, time and responsibilities of being a head football coach at McMurray with being a husband and a dad? Well, I think it all goes back to priority. You know, we talk about honor God, honor family, you know, academics team after that, you know, um, I'm very blessed and very fortunate. I've got a three and a half year old daughter who's going, who's going on about 16 already. <laughs> and, uh, she's, she's high maintenance. Um, but she is without a doubt, you know, and her and my, and my wife, they are the, the most important, uh, most important things in my life. And, uh, you know, I would have it out of whack if I didn't have instinct in me that said, if, if, if it came down to it and I had to put football down and never coach, coach again in order to be a husband and a dad, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I'm saying a lot because I do love to coach and it, and, it, and it truly is something that it's my hobby. You know, it's what I love to do. But uh, but family will never be second place to those things. And so, you know, in practicality for me, that means that my daughter is always going to be up here running around. She's going to be raised by the field house, you know, and um, I want her around our players and I want them to see, I, I, I want our players to see me loving, uh, loving mm. my wife and loving my, my daughter. And, uh, even though I can have a, uh, you know, leather, strong, tough handed coach, uh, on the field, I can also be tender hearted and kind and, and, uh, you know, uh, be just, I can melt in the presence of my daughter because she has that effect on me. And, and I want my players to see that, you know, and uh, our other coaches are the same way because they're, you know, they're married men who are committed to their families and to their kids. And, uh, you know, you just have to make time for them and understand that football is, it needs to stay in its proper place. Um, it's a, it's a dichotomy. I mean, it's kind of a, 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 a paradox because, you know, if you, if you do not give, give enough, to what you're doing as a football coach, then uh, you're not going to be successful. And, you know, you don't want to take home with you every day a football program that is a toxic work environment or a team that has turmoil or that has, you know, divisions within it um, because those things can be cancerous in in the home as well. So it all kind of works together. Um, Mm -hmm. You you never, you never turn that off. You gotta, you gotta take that same approach 
to, to family that you do to the team because um, it, it's all it's all family, you know, to us. And that's try, that's the way we try to look at it all the time. That's awesome. So uh, you've referenced, you know, several passages of scripture in this conversation, but I'd like to ask if you have a favorite, you know, some people have a quote unquote life verse, or is there one that God has really shown you recently that you'd share with us? I definitely got some, some life passages. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is, mm-hmm. is, a, is always a go-to for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope in a future. I definitely hold on to that one. Romans eight twenty eight. Um, all things work for the good of those who are called according to God's purposes. Um, but recently I say recently, really over the last couple of years, very simply uh, a passage from Proverbs thirteen twelve. I actually shared this at church a couple of Sundays ago it just says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Mm. Um, I've really leaned on that. We've got that on a picture in our in our house up on the wall. And, um, you know, I'm waiting for football season. I'm eagerly and, you know, anxiously waiting to, to get back to doing what we love to do, which is to coach the guys and, 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 and really and be playing games, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my wife and I, we waited a long time before we were able to have our daughter and uh, been through a lot there. Uh, I always had to wait my turn, you know, as, a, as an athlete. I didn't start in high school football until I was a senior, you know, and I, I often have had my hope deferred, you know, or those longings have not quite been fulfilled momentarily for me. And, um, you know, I read that and I'm, I'm highly encouraged, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And, you know, the ultimate thing that we're all waiting on is for, is for Christ to return and to set things straight. And so, um, you know, that, 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 that's one that I've really, uh, leaned on. And then I, I would also say too, you know, Ecclesiastes, I, I love the old Testament, by the way, Ecclesiastes, this one gives me a lot of pause in the, in the current situation that we're in. Cause I do get exasperated by terms like, uh, these uncertain times and, uh, these unprecedented times and, and so on. I, Ecclesiastes says, is there anything of which one can say, look, here's something new? No, it was here a long ago. Mm. It was here before our time. No, no one remembers the former generations, even those to come will not be remembered by those that follow. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. So just mm. knowing that God is not surprised by coronavirus, he's not surprised by the curveballs that get thrown to us, uh, it gives me pause and it gives me peace of mind of knowing that we're, we're on the right team and uh, we, we know the outcome. God, God gets the final word. That's right. No, that's good. I'm going to remember that because I'm sure I say probably I think I know I'm guilty and I'm sure many others are without even thinking about it. We say in these uncertain times or in this time of uncertainty. But, yeah, that's that's I'm going to go look that one up and read that tonight Mm -hmm. just as a reminder when I go to bed that, um, you know, to kind of process that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't I give my coaches a hard time. Anytime they say at the end of the day. And they say it is what it is. I'm just like, come on, let's find a better, <laughs> better phrase than that. And that's that's just the way I feel. These uncertain times, really, when have times has ever been certain? You know, that's right. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It just. I, seems- I mean, it's it's the very it's the uncertainty. It's it's the certainty that it's uncertain is is I think one of the marks of spiritual maturity. That's it's right. Just knowing that you know, hey. We don't know what we're going to eat for dinner tonight. You know, we don't we don't know when, you know when when Christ will return. So every day should be an exercise in in preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts and minds. Exactly like John the Baptist did. He said, "I I'm not the Christ. I'm here to make the hilly places flat and to open up a path. I'm here to make way for the for the coming of the Lord." And that's what we should be doing in our hearts every day. That's right. That's a good word. That's a good one. That's that's it's encouraging to me, and I know many are listening. So, and I appreciate your uh, your time and and being willing to do this. Um, I know again, there's a, there, there's a lot going on, so you appreciate your flexibility and scheduling as well. Absolutely. Well, it sure is a pleasure. I hope I didn't talk too much too long. <laughs> no, you're good. All good. 
Thank you again to Coach Neil for taking time to share his story and share his heart. And, you know, we talk a lot about and we hear a lot about faith family football um, or God first. Um, but and that's important. And I think Coach Neil is a great example of someone who just they don't tweet faith family football. They live it. Um, it's very obvious in in hearing him talk and hearing his story that he truly does live a life that honors God first, then his family second, football is third. So thank you for listening. I'd ask you to share this episode with a family member or a friend, somebody that needs to be encouraged today. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, I'd ask you whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, just click the subscribe button. We have over 150 previous episodes that will encourage you just like this one, and we've got some great ones coming up. Lastly, we love to hear from you. You can uh, interact with us through our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org, or social media. Go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the search bar. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. It'll take you to us. You can interact with us. You can find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, to serve, to give. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for your encouragement and your prayers.